Welcome to the RSP cast. This is another episode of the 2020 projection series with Pro Football Focus and Establish the Run analyst, Dwayne McFarlane. Dwayne, as always, this is awesome. So let's get right into it um, so that we can get, you know, do what we need to do here in terms of talking about these teams. Let's start off with the Dallas Cowboys and, uh, you know, give us your rundown in terms of what you see about the Cowboys, um, you know, that's interesting to you from a projections angle. Yeah, I mean, obviously we've got, you know, the, the big thing, you got two really big changes here, right? One, you've got Mike McCarthy coming, and, and maybe that won't be as big of a change as we think if you look at the Cowboys offense and the way it ran last year under Kellen Moore. Um, if you look back in McCarthy's history, when his offenses were most successful, they were actually pretty similar to what Kellen Moore did last year from a personnel standpoint. Now, now Moore did more with shifts and different things, which we'll talk about. You know, actually, we can just talk about that now. I think they could actually be a great complement to one another, Matt. Um, so the problem with McCarthy, right? Um, you know, with the Packers towards the end is the the scrutiny that he that he fell under was that he just wasn't creative you know enough he wasn't an innovative thinker anymore back when he had first started running more and more 11 personnel and using more passing plays especially in the red zone and inside the five it was kind of untraditional thinking or there were only a few coaches doing it right you know you had Andy Reid you had a few other guys doing that and so he was really more on the cutting edge and then as the league caught up you had many more teams running base nickel um, you have more teams you know prepared to match up with three wide receivers, um, you know, and he wasn't using the movement and the different things that he had, you know, things started to deteriorate, right? He was really thought more of almost more like a Randy Fickner kind of guy. You know, it's just this static, you know, okay, Mike, we're going to put our guys out there and we're going to execute. And then you have other, other coordinators that are much more around, yeah, we're going to do that, but we're going to try to find different ways to provide advantages. And Kellen Moore really did that last year with the Cowboys. He, he integrated, um, you know, a lot more use of movement and shifts to help create, you know, mismatches. Um, you know, he also went more vertical with the offense, which if, if you look back at McCarthy's, you know, best years, you know, he also did, he took a similar approach with Aaron Rodgers. You know, he attacked the intermediate and deeper parts of the field more, which the Cowboys really integrated those things with their run game last year. And that's what made their offense so good. And they also had added Randall Cobb. And I think that was an underrated, I think I have an underrated, you know, if, if, when Randall Cobb's healthy, you know, what he can do, you know, to a defense to help out your other receivers like Gallup and Cooper. And so now I think you look at this year, you got McCarthy coming in, you know, he loves to run that style of offense. And now if you've got a guy like Kellen Moore to maybe help him see his blind spots, um, you know, or maybe he even, it's, t it's TBD still, but maybe they let Kellen Moore just take more of that lead, right? And McCarthy, you know, is more of an overseer kind of role. Um, but I think coming together, they can both be better, right? I think they, you know, obviously McCarthy has experience and that's always valuable. Um, so I think putting those two things together is really great. And then the other component, right, if you think about that offense is the Cowboys have C.D. Lamb followed them in the first round. So I don't think it could have worked out any better. <laughs> you know, a guy that runs, wants to run 11. The Cowboys had a ton of success running 11 personnel last year. And for people that don't know what 11 means, it just means you got three wide receivers, one tight end, one running back on the field. Um, you know, the Cowboys did use, um, you know, 12 personnel a little bit. They used 21 personnel. They're still going to have those sets. 12 was their second most used last year at 18%. They ran 11, 67%, and they ran 21, which is, you know, usually that's just typically you got a fullback, two wide receivers, and a running back. 
they ran that 9% of the time and the 12 is two tight ends. And so the two tight ends I could see going down because last year you had Witten and Jarwin. And I see the 11 personnel going up with the drafting of Lamb. I think you could see that in the 70 to 75% range. So I, that's what I'm most excited about, Matt. You know, is, you know, we've talked about the rule of three before on this show. Wow, do the Cowboys have the rule of three, right? I mean, and, it, and Jarwin can be a contributor. You know, Zeke is still a capable pass receiver out of the backfield. He's not a guy that's going to work down the field a ton. But when you've got these other guys running routes and you get something to him in the flat when things are covered up, I mean, Zeke is fine there. Pollard can pitch in. So I'm I'm super I'm super excited about this offense. I think it could easily be the number one offense in the league, right? I think you have to put it right up there with with the Chiefs and the Ravens, you know, some of the other high, the the Saints, um, you know, is one of the teams that is in the running to be you know the top offense this this year as far as yards, touchdowns, yards per play. I think all of those metrics are in play um, for Dallas to lead the way. Oh, I agree with you absolutely. Now the question I have for you, just kind of a side question. So you brought up Ezekiel Elliott and you brought up the whole, um, you know, in terms of catching the ball downfield as a running back. Now, how would you define that as downfield for a running back? Because the just from viewing football a lot, it seems to me that I, I hear a lot of people complain about running backs not being good receivers because they only catch check down passes. But mm-hmm. outside of Austin Eckler... You know, you know, and maybe a couple of Alvin other guys. Kamara. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, James White, yeah. Uh, Kamara. Yeah, and so when I'm talking downfield, and and I've even seen Zeke catch these kind of things, right? So it's not even necessarily that he can't, but it's like, is it the best use of his of him and the scheme when you have these other guys? But yeah, I'm talking more like bullet routes, angle routes, um, things where you know you're five yards and beyond, right downfield. Okay. So, and it's not that Zeke can't do those things. It's, it would be more of a route running thing for Zeke than his hands, yeah. you know, in my opinion, you know, I've, I've watched every snap ever of Zeke, you know, I can't necessarily say that about every other runner, you know, like you can, <laughs> um, you know, I've watched, you know, a lot of the other guys, but yeah, it, that's the way I define it. It's truly okay. more, I can almost line you up like a receiver kind of thing. And you've got that route tree that you can go to, um, you know, to create these matchups versus linebackers, et cetera. Okay. Cause I think it'd be interesting to find out how many running backs or what percentage of the running backs or what the percentage of routes run deep are for some of the top receiving backs, because it just seems to me like an overstated quality and it, and it, and I think it actually inhibits um, draft analysts and scouts. If, Mm-hmm. If if I'm if I'm right about it, it inhibits them because they place too much value on it. Like you, you know what I'm saying? It's like mm-hmm. I, I look at a guy like Austin Eckler, and he's the only one that I see like on a notable basis who runs like routes that Randall Cobb would run, or that right. Alan Hearns would have ran. You know, like the the 15 yard in cuts and the. Uh, you know, in a curl route or something of that nature that would be, you know, going deeper than 10 yards down the field. So, right. you know, to me, that would be interesting just as, as a notable thing. And while you kind of look that up, uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about, you know, what I see for this offense. And I think one of the most notable things to me is, you know, you talked about C.D. Lamb, and I think he's the best wide receiver of this rookie class. And I, and I don't even think it was that close because when you start to factor in Jerry Judy, 
who is a very fast player once he reaches top speed, but has a slow accelerator. He doesn't have quite the range that C.D. Lamb provides as a player because Judy's a guy who's going to need play action to get up to speed on some of those vertical and deep ranges of the field and that, you know, 30 to 30 and beyond in terms of from distance from the line of scrimmage. So with Lamb, you know he has the speed to be able to, he has better acceleration to get downfield. He can play slot and outside like Judy can. He's He may be a more efficient route runner, actually, than Judy, which has fooled a lot of people into thinking that Judy is by far the best route runner in this class. And I think that, you know, when you, when you really examine what C.D. Lamb does, he does it more like a pro. You know, he does it with greater efficiency. He gets open with greater efficiency. He's not going to have to tamp back his routes. And when you look at the Cowboys last year, they, they basically had an offense that supported three 1,100-yard receivers if you count what um, Tavon Austin and Randall Cobb did together as one receiver. And essentially they were because they basically played the same role. Um, they just had different extensions of that role and platoon that time. So I, I look at this and think, why Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, and C.D. Lamb aren't projected more often in that 1,000 to 1,200 range each? Um, mm-hmm. You know, that should be something we account for because I have, I'll just tell you right off the bat, I mean, I have Dak Prescott for 4,500 yards not anything more than that, you know, and which is similar to where he was last year, I believe, maybe even less. Um, and Cooper, Gallup, and Lamb each have between 1,000 and 1,200 yards for me. And Blake Jarwin, I still have at close to 600 yards receiving. Um, you, you know, so that, that to me, I mean, I think is part of the story is that people are mm-hmm. underrating C.D. Lamb and they think it's going to cost Cooper and Gallup you know, immensely. And I'm thinking, nah, as long as, as long as they have the quarterback playing offensive line play, this is a team that with Ezekiel Elliott and who you said, you know, it's, he's going to stay near the near line of scrimmage. Well, of course he's going to stay near the line of scrimmage. You're going to, you're going to run play action. You're going to have the threat of him running through the line of scrimmage with the ball. Why would you split him out ever? I mean, you would <laughs> occasionally, but why would you want to split him out frequently when you know that the biggest threat he poses is near the box. I mean, that's just like that to me, that's kind of common sense that also people seem to kind of lose a little bit when they start talking about, well, he's not the, you know, he's not you. I, I get that. But at the same time, it's like when you have, when, when you have a player as good as Elliot is, and it just boggles my mind when people like come out with these faux studies that say that he's not, but, um, but that's that's another story for another day. Yeah, I'm similar with you on Prescott. You know, I've got passing yards for the Cowboys down 164 yards just because, I mean, if people haven't read, you know, how I do projections, you can find that on the RSP. And, you know, that's that's part of it, right, is you, you just want to be super realistic about everything. And there's a range of outcomes that can happen with any of these. But if I look at my median projections, I have them down by 164. But that's my median, right? If we think about what the Cowboys did last year, they would have hit the top end of my spectrum. So I've basically got them staying even with where they were last year in my median, meaning there's more room 
for even additional upside. Um, but real quick, back to the question you asked, you know, before we can come back to Prescott. So last year, receiver or running backs that ran routes where they were targeted uh, at least, you know, one to nine, 10 to 19. I could actually do, uh, you know, Matt, oops, I got to come back to that. Um, I can actually do it at any targeted depth, you know, we want. I can put a range in. Um, but what would you what would you consider? I would say. I would say you talked about five yards. I would say five, you know, one to five. Then like, I would say from beyond, beyond what? (laughs) Oh, beyond what? Let's say beyond 12 yards. Let's, let's say that. Or even beyond 10. Okay. Let's do beyond 10. That's reasonable. All right. That's actually easy. I don't even have to, I can do 10 to 19 and the 20 plus. All right, here we go. Yeah, so targets last year, 10 plus. Austin Eckler had 11. James White had nine. Miles Sanders had eight. Aaron Jones had eight. Tariq Cohen had eight. David Johnson had seven. Duke Johnson, six. And then you drop off to a bunch of fours. Um, The way I look at it is more of an average depth, you know, thing. So most runners will be behind the line of scrimmage. That's where the majority of their targets will come. So if you throw the one to nine in, right? So basically you're saying anything past the line of scrimmage, McCaffrey at 71, James White at 55, Kamara 53, Eckler 51. These are targets, um, Tariq Cohen uh, 49. And then number six is Zeke with 41. So, yeah. So we're basically looking at guys who maybe at most were getting one every other game, you know, yeah. at now they're great their grades on those right you know now these are pff you know grades but you know mccaffrey's an 89 white's a 77 you know kamara was a 54 last year if you look at his previous years though kamara was higher eckler last year was the highest i mean so i mean you mentioned the right guy right out of the gate obviously that he had a 92 grade you know in the receiving game you know zeke had a 48 aaron jones 77 so but yeah i mean as far as who's getting those targets um you know, there's definitely a lip. I, I agree with you, like, because as soon as you take that one to nine out as well, right, you take that out of the, the equation. So you're talking about true down the field type targets. Um, you know, there's just not that, there's not that many, right? Wow. It is a, is it's an overweight, it can be overweighted. Yeah. I think where it is valuable is if you're talking about truly in that short underneath range of somebody that can truly run, you know, more of a route tree against a, a linebacker, right, in that five to 10 yard range. Yeah, sure. But what's funny is one of the best angle route runners I've seen out of the running backs over the past five years is probably not even on that list as anything more than four. And that's Nick Chubb, who everyone says, oh, Kareem Hunt's going to steal his receiving, you know, and may, may very well. But what's funny is the perception is, you know, you look at Nick Chubb and you think, well, he's not quite the receiver, but one of the better routes he runs is actually the angle route, at least from mm-hmm. what I saw on tape over the years. Um, so it's kind of, you know, it's just an interesting thing to me because we emphasize this, this whole thing about receiving, receiving backs. And the thought is, is that, Oh, you know, he can run those bullet routes and run the wheel route. And he can, I, I saw him catch a fade once, you know, and let me put it up on, you know, let me put it up on Twitter and, you know, get myself, you know, 20,000 views of my, video of of said running back running the running the 
you know, the I call it the Shane Vereen route. I remember doing that. Oh, like yeah. Ten years ago, <laughs> loving Shane Vereen because of the fact that he could catch fades. And then after watching them try over and over and over again, you know, to target Shane Vereen in that fashion and Brady couldn't hit him, I thought, wow, what a freaking waste. The, one of the best quarterbacks in the league can't even, like, convert this play. And they try it, like, almost every week. And I'm sitting here thinking... It can't be that valuable. I mean, this guy was one of the best fade route runners I ever saw at the running back position, and they couldn't capitalize on it with it with one of the best quarterbacks in the league who had no problem hitting Randy Moss with, you know, fade routes on a regular basis or Rob Gronkowski or Aaron Hernandez or, you know, you know when they had great receivers. So it's it's just kind of interesting that how that goes. So, yeah. so you know, yeah, looking at the from the quarterback standpoint, I mean, I'll start and just say that we already have Prescott at 45. I have him at 4,505 yards at 8.36 yards per attempt. Um, I'm looking at a 66.8 completion percentage and, you know, a 29 touchdowns, 5.4 touchdowns, 5.4% in terms of touchdown per attempt. 10 interceptions um, at 1.9% per attempt. Um, Look at you, Matt, ready with the percentages. I, hey, I, I wow. do. I just don't talk about it this much, you know. So <laughs> I just figured we've been doing it, so I'm awake today. So let's do it. Um, you know, and then in terms of rushing yards, you know, I, or rushing attempts, I have them at 62 rushing attempts. 260 yards, um, which is a little less than 4.2 per attempt. Um, and then um, three touchdowns. And, you know, I have Dak Prescott as one of the best quarterbacks for fantasy purposes. I mean, he's basically fifth or sixth on my board. I think he's sixth on my board right now. Um, and just barely behind Drew Brees, who when we get to the the Saints, I'll be explaining why people are freaking insane to be, um, you know, counting out some of the older players in the New Orleans Saints um, offense. But that's that's for another time. Just to give you a preview, I will definitely be doing my age rant about that, about some of those players. But yeah, I mean, Dak Prescott to me is in store for a very good season because of all the things you said 11 personnel, um, you know, returning offensive coordinator. Um, the way they've got, you know, good setup run to pass, the addition of CD Lamb. Um, and I think that and Prescott and Dak Prescott, he's not the technically prettiest quarterback that all the all the Twitter analysts are gonna go gaga over who want who base everything about quarterbacking off of a template, which is basically a pocket player or a dual threat player. And he's kind of in between both of those. He can run a little bit. But he's really a guy that scrambles, buys time, doesn't exactly do it, you know, in the way that maybe a quarterback coach who's stuck in one template, which means he's not a very good quarterback coach, that a very good, you know, that a not uh, a mediocre quarterback coach would approve of, you know, and a lot of our Twitter analyst analysis is kind of inter is kind of like mediocre quarterback coaching. And I've been through that range myself, so I'll include myself in, into that experience. <laughs> I think we all have to go through that. Um, mm -hmm. But Prescott's a guy who gets it done, and he gets a lot of, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like you Cowboys fans don't appreciate Dak Prescott or really appreciate any player um, unless he's a running back or like 
or or a Randy White clone. So you know, but that's that's just me, and I like making fun of Cowboys fans. So so, so, so you think Cowboys fans basically only like you know players that always got a big hunk of chaw in their mouth, got a fishing pole, ride a horse, or from Escambia, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, fair enough, fair okay. enough. Uh, it's funny, like at our uh, Spring Creek Barbecue, I don't know if they have those in, uh, you in, know, Georgia. in, in Georgia, but yeah, there's one here where my granddad, you know, he's passed, but he used to love going there after church. And when you go to the men's bathroom over the, you don't want to be talking about urinals on your show, Matt, but over the urinal, there's a picture of Randy White on a, on a horse fishing. And he's got a large mouth bass, you know, and you just see that big craw hanging out you know, of his mouth. Yeah. Well, if they, if, so, if they appreciate, you know, I know that, I know they didn't particularly like the Oilers around the, those parts, but if they could appreciate Steve McNair, Steve McNair was a cowboy in disguise, you know, basically, <laughs> you know, he would have been on a, he probably would have been on a horse with some chaw and some, and a fishing pole. And, and Dak Prescott reminds me a little bit of Steve McNair in terms of the way that he plays. He wasn't as pretty of a technician as McNair was, but they both could get it done in a variety of ways and, and often from the pocket more often than people realize. Cowboys fans are very interesting for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for the, for the team, I've got 584 pass attempts, 441 run, run, running plays. Sorry. So 57% pass 43% run. Historically McCarthy's a 58, 42 guy, but he has shown um, if he builds leads, you know, in some of his better years, it, it could easily be 55, 45. Um, you know, 56, 44, you know, somewhere in that range, I'm leaning a little more into the past, just, you know, with these, uh, with these weapons, but I see, you know, most of the carries going through one guy, you know, McCarthy's not a guy that's really, uh, you know, if you look at like running backs as a group, right. They're not super involved in his offense. He'll have a guy or two that will typically lead the way. Now, as far as receivers, he's had multiple times, right. Where he's had three guys back to your point earlier, which we'll talk about that in a second. He's, he's had multiple times where, had, where he's had three guys, you know, really produce, you know, from a from a statistical perspective, especially on a per game average. They weren't always able to stay healthy all 16 games. You know, that's the challenge. But uh, Vegas has the Cowboys at 10 wins. Um, Pro Football Focus has got them simulated at 8.7. Last year they won eight games. So right now for Prescott, um, I've got him at – 4,732 yards passing on 584 attempts. So that's 8.1 yards per attempt. I've got his touchdowns at 5.5%. So that's 32. Um, and I'm okay with that. Typically, I don't, I won't project many quarterbacks over 30 touchdowns. I mean, it'll probably be, it, it, if I do it, you know, it's two or three guys, you know, um, each year, sometimes four. Um, as we start losing some of these guys, you know, when you lose a Manning and then eventually you lose, you know, Brady and some of these other guys, it can, it can kind of, that's part of it. Um, so nine interceptions at, at 1.5%. Then I've got him at 55 rushing attempts, five yards an attempt for 275 yards, but I've got him with four rushing touchdowns, which if you're a fantasy player, that's really good. That puts him at 361 points, um, which I've got Lamar Jackson projected at 375 right now. Look so I mean, I, ha I have them really close and I actually think that Dak's, um, I think Dak's numbers could be more consistent, right, than than Jackson's. Like I, I feel like there's a chance for the league to try to figure out, you know, what Lamar Jackson's doing, and then there could be some. There's obviously going to be some regression just because Lamar Jackson had a huge year, sure. right? But 
Dak Prescott, when I look at it, you know, he's going to be utilizing tools out of a toolbox that the league's been trying to figure out for 20 years. And he's got elite weapons to do it. And it's been shown that if you can use this formula and you've got a good coaching combination and you can really, you know, put the right game plan together, it's just going to be really tough to defend the Cowboys, um, you know. And so when I look at that, you know, Lamar Jackson, some of his efficiency, you know, he has way less, you know, attempts and things. So, I mean, it's like his efficiency was so far through the roof. If you just dial it back a little bit and still give him a lot of love, you know, there's a chance, you know, for, you know, Jackson, when you look at how many touchdowns he threw last year, there's a real chance for that number to come down a good bit. Um, now, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's a guarantee. I think there's a range of outcomes where Lamar Jackson still throws over 30 touchdowns. But if I had to put a bet down today in Vegas of who's going to throw 30 touchdowns, Dak Prescott or Lamar Jackson, I would bet Dak 10 out of 10 times. No, and I think that's a good bet. I think it's it's a very wise way of looking at it. And we'll definitely get into Lamar Jackson a little bit more in terms of the coming year. And I think I'm sure we're, you know, obviously you're very high on Lamar Jackson as well um, and, and even higher on him in terms of your projections and, than Dak. But I think that in terms of what you're looking at here, um, it is understandable that if you're looking for the more consistent bet, this would probably, it does make sense and for, yeah. based on your rationale. And, and if you're a fantasy, if you're a fantasy player, I think for sure, because Lamar Jackson goes in the second or third round, right? And Dak Prescott, you can get him rounds six, seven, or eight. Yeah. You know, depending on when he slides. And so what I've kind of made a rule for me this year in the drafts I've done, Matt, is when Prescott slides past his ADP, which is typically sixth, seventh round, depending on what kind of format you're playing in, I take him. Yeah. I don't take him at now I draft a lot of teams. So if somebody, you know, on, on that's listening to the show is just going to draft one or two, you could still just apply that rule and it's right in a sweet spot. Normally I don't take quarterbacks until late, but I do think this year that there's a potential, there is a true potential teardrop. Um, and it's not to say you can't still go with the weight on quarterback theory. I think you can still make that work this year as well. But I do think that Prescott is in a small group of guys and based on how much he's discounted versus Pat Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, there is a there, there's a way to think about the the game theory of this, and it makes Prescott a really strong selection, you know, in round seven or eight. No, I think that's a great point, and it's funny. You're, what you're talking about is actually an article I'm thinking about doing at Football Guys. Is kind of an if they slide, here's mm. these are guys that you need to take. Like this is kind of like pull the trigger, you know, based on you know, or pull the lever based on where they slide, you know. Yeah. So I like that idea. Yep. Yeah. So so when you look at guys, you know, when you look at guys like this, I mean, I think what this tells us a lot is it's about the receivers and. You know, a lot of this is about the receivers, too. And I think that C.D. Lamb, as good as Amari Cooper is, C.D. Lamb could be the best receiver on this team by the end of the year if this were a normal year. Um, and, you know, I don't think it's going to be a normal year, so I don't think you're going to see it. But if if miraculously we do have um, a complete football season without, um, you know, massive losses of people due to illness um, or the threat of illness, um and we still come and we finish playing. I think Lamb is a guy, you know, you'll see it here. I mean, like right now I have the targets pretty similar for everybody. Like I have Amari Cooper at 120 targets. He's my leader. Um, Michael Gallup, I have at 110 targets, but then I have CD Lamb at 107. So it's like not that much difference between the, between the three at all. And what I think was, is going to be the case too, is because you're going to see a lot of, um, moving around with this offense. I think you're going to see, mm-hmm. 
C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper do what um, you're going to see with Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler in Denver, which is you're going to see, you know, in two receiver sets, you will probably see it's either going to be Cooper or Gallup, or they'll take Cooper off the field occasionally and have Lamb in, in at the flanker spot, or, you know, vice versa. It's, I think it's going to be one of those things that you're going to see situations where Lamb's on the outside and Cooper's on the bench, um, in in certain situations in this um, for this team as the season goes on, it's not automatically going to be Lamb's the only guy who's going to be in three receiver sets. Um, but I think that you'll see, and sometimes you may even see Gallup off the field. You may even see them occasionally um, use Lamb and Cooper on the field at the same time and, and take Gallup up. But most of the time, it's going to be eleven personnel, like you said, like you're saying. And as a result of that, you'll see Cooper and and Lamb switch off between slot and flanker, and yeah. and because Cooper's great in the slot, but so's so's C.D. Lamb, um, but both of them have skills to play on the outside, and Lamb is a very good player in terms of running routes outside there and being able to win the ball at the boundary um, and make some fantastic boundary plays. So in terms of rece- targets to receptions, Amari Cooper, 120 targets, 80 receptions. 1,200 yards, 15 yards per catch, eight touchdowns. He's still the leader, if you ask me, at this you know at this point. Mm-hmm. It's the safest thing to, to, to project. But then you have you know, Gallup, who's been very good. He had a really nice sophomore effort. I'm at 110 targets, 65 catches, um, 1,050 yards. He's going to be the stretch the field leader in terms of if you have minimal target volume. You know, based on the minimal cutoff point, because I think if Devin Smith makes the team, he'll probably have a y- higher yards per catch average, but a lot fewer targets. Um, he'll right. be their Ted Ginn kind of throw in. Yeah, agree. Uh, you know, so Michael Gallup, 110, 65, 10.50 at 16.15 yards per reception, five touchdowns. Um, and then Lamb, I have at 107 targets. Um, I'm catching 68 of them, a little bit more than Gallup, um, just because I think he's going to be used a little more often in the slot and and flanker-type routes that are a little shorter. 1,005 yards at 14.7 yards per catch, which is a really healthy yards per catch average for a young receiver. Um, And and I have him at six touchdowns um, because I think he's going to replace a little bit more of what you see from a tight end angle. And I just really combined a lot of what you saw from Austin and, and Cobb last year. And when yeah, you- I mean, Cobb had 14% of the targets, you know, and he was, he, he missed a game and he was dinged up in other games. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know what percentage that puts you at for him, but probably in the 16 to 18% range. And I think that's totally within reach. Yeah. So, I mean, those are my three. And then if you, you know, I have Devin Smith, Ventel Bryant and Cedric Wilson making the team as mm-hmm. the active roster and if you can yeah get... i think they'll carry six they have to because of how much they like the the formation yeah so you know they have they've combined for you know if they combine for 10 touchdowns and 100 yard or 10 receptions and 100 yards and a touchdown that's kind of what i have them projected for at this point i could probably go a little higher for all of that but i didn't i just i left them at a minimal so what about the receivers for you Dwayne? where are you at with them 
Yeah, I mean, a couple of quick things. I mean, you, you hit on some really good stuff there. You know, one, you know, just going back real quickly to Green Bay and McCarthy's time there. If you look at his receivers, um, you know, as a as a combine, and, and that, I know not everybody listening to this is fantasy. Some people are just listening for the Packers. But still, I think, like, when you think about receptions plus yards plus touchdowns, it's still kind of an easy way to think about production overall, right? And that's what, you know, the, the scoring for fantasy is for, you know, a PPR setup. These these numbers to the receivers, it, it's crazy. <laughs> um, you know, in two thousand one, these were, the receivers on the Packers scored eight hundred and thirty points. Two thousand twelve, seven hundred and twenty five. Two thousand thirteen, six sixty four. Two thousand fourteen, seven thirty four. Compare that, right, to, you know, even Kansas City in 2018, 700 points. Kansas City last year, 580 points. The chart, the Rams, who we've loved their 11 personnel over the last three years, 603, 750, 686. So, I mean, this is truly an offense that, you know, it will funnel a lot, you know, through that wide, wide receiver position. And so I, I bring that up because I think you hit something on the head with talking about not enough folks are thinking about the true range of outcomes for what could happen here and why you could, and it doesn't happen very often, but you really could have three players, you know, end up inside, you know, the top 36, right. (laughs) As far as receivers and fantasy rankings, or even just thinking, you know, true NFL yardage, you know, how receivers rank. And if, if you take it one step further, and if I were to break it down for you, Matt, and look at it, you know, actually, is there, we've never tried this. We could just try it on the fly. I think I can share my screen with you. Sure. Can I? I think you can. Yeah. yeah. I'll share like a visual here. Um, let, me, let me get this. That way, if you got anybody looking at it on YouTube. All right. So I'll blow this up for people. Um, so here is, this is Mike McCarthy. And I'll blow it up here on my end too. Sorry. No, Oops. no problem. You were there we go. All right. Now, if I just take these and... All right, so this is Mike McCarthy, and these are the finishing ranks for his players. Um, they had to at least, um, you know, played, you know, eight games, so there may be a few things kicked out here, but that was really the only filter. These are PPR fantasy rankings, right, across, you know, here's totals for positions for his teams, and then up here. So you'll see at receiver, look at all these, eight and a 22 rank, 19 and a 21 uh, 18 and a four that's plus supporting a top 12 tight end right you get 17 and 16 now the way i ranked these receivers i was really going more from an nfl standpoint who had the most snaps and routes and targets and then i let fantasy points just be what came out of it right so these are based who are who was on the field the most right and the most involved and then efficiency can always come into play right and make someone that had a lesser role you know stand out more or there may be been a game or two missed by this player and you know the wide receiver too that helped you know give them some more opportunities so some, there's some there's some different layers going on there but what i really wanted to show is the number of times that this offense has supported three different weapons so right now this year i don't think it's going to be a tight end it's going to be a receiver so like you know here where you would have had your michael finley Right. And you would have had, you know, Jordy Nelson and whoever it was at the time, probably Greg Jennings. Actually, that may have even been like, you know, James Jones. I don't know. Right. But 2011 again. So three different times this offense has supported two top 36 receivers and a top 12 tight end. And I think what you're going to see this year is you've got an opportunity for all three of those players. Right. To sit down here um, if healthy. And then the other thing is, you know, up here at the running back. 
you know, position, you know, you can see, look, I mean, like this year, this, it was more of a, a spread out, you know, kind of offense. There wasn't necessarily this, you know, top five guy. I think this is kind of what you're going to see this year. You're going to probably have Cooper Gallup and um, Lamb could, you know, potentially sneak in there as well, all in the top 36 and how they fall out. It wouldn't surprise me if any one of them was the top one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I think some of it really is going to come down to they're all going to be so good as what matchups are they giving you on a week to week basis? And that's ultimately what's going to drive who ends up being the leader of the team, because I'm with you. I expect, you know, pretty similar, you know, targets, you know, so hopefully that's helpful to folks with, if I can pull in visuals, I'll, I will, but I'll, I'll stop on this one for now. No, that's um, cool. That's cool. Yeah. So where I have these guys for now, I've got uh Cooper with a slight edge with 21% of the targets, 123 with 80 receptions at 14 and a half yards per target. So that's 1,156 yards. And I've got him at eight touchdowns. That's 25% of the touchdowns. That's 244 PPR points. Uh, if somebody's in a half point PPR, that's 204. Non-PPR is 164. Michael Gallup, I've got at 20%. So that's 117 targets, 67 receptions. I'm like you. I've got him working uh, deeper down the field of the guys at a cutoff, right, for the minimum number of those. So I've got him at 15 and a half yards per reception. That's 1,040 yards. I've also got him with eight touchdowns. Then I've got C.D. Lamb um, operating, like you said, from the slot. But I do agree there's going to be times where, and we saw this even last year, that the Cowboys actually uh, rotated, you know, a fourth guy in occasionally to give these guys, you know, a breather. Um, you typically didn't see weeks where anybody was on the field for 100% of the plays. Um, you know, usually what you saw from the receivers, if they were all healthy, is they would be in that 90 to 85% range as far as snaps. And then they were all in the, in the 90 plus percent range as far as being on the field when the quarterback was dropping back to throw the ball. Uh, I think that's going to be the same thing this year, but um, from for lamb, I gave him 16% of the targets. And again, Cobb had 14% last year. Um, and so I think with Witten being, you know, gone and, you know, you have, um, you know, uh, Jarwin being your, your one tight end, I think just by the, the variable of getting to be on the field more with through more 11 personnel. And then the fact that, you know, I think CD Lamb's going to be a great player. I think just giving him an extra 2% from what Cobb had, it isn't really saying much. It could easily be more like an 18. Yeah. Um, so 93 targets, 58 receptions. I gave him 14 and a half yards per catch as well. That's 847 yards. And I'm like you, I gave him six touchdowns. So I gave him 17 and a half percent of the touchdowns. So, uh, the way I look at it, if people are listening for fantasy, Matt, I think Cooper's uh, floor is top 24, his ceiling is top 12. You know, I don't see Cooper, you know, sneaking up into the top six or anything like that because I do see some balance for the offense. Um, for Gallup, I, I think, you know, his floor is a top 48. And what where that would come from would be more if literally just Cooper just passed him and took on all of those 12 and 21 snaps and Gallup really just became the third guy coming on the field instead of lamb. And I think that's a potential outcome for Gallup. So I baked that into his floor. Um, but his ceiling, I still gave as a top 24 for CD lamb. I, I put floor as top 72 just because he is a rookie, right? Sure. And anything can happen. He's got to pick up the offense. We've got everything going on with COVID. Um, so I gave, but I gave him the same ceiling as, as Gallup. So it's a wider range of outcomes, but I gave him a top 24. So I, I love the three receivers. And um, I guess I can do tight end real quick, and then you can do yours. I, I gave Jarwin 14% of the targets. So that's 82 targets, um, 57 receptions, 630 yards, uh, and I gave him four touchdowns. So, I mean, not not bad. I think what you're going to have, the problem you'll have with Jarwin if you're a 
fantasy player is you're just going to see some spikes, right? And you're going to see that some with all of these guys as they share the pie. But I think he's going to be the guy that could, you know, easily be left out of the game plan, you know, certain weeks. And then there's going to be other weeks with, when teams match up better and they're just going to be like, oh, yeah, well, you guys forgot that Jarwin can run the seam route and we think we have a good matchup against your linebacker or your safety. And you'll see Jarwin just have a couple of big grabs and one of them will be for a touchdown. You know, if you if you watched the Cowboys last year, Jarwin had some incredibly easy touchdowns. I mean, based off of people trying to deal with everything. I mean, one of them literally, I mean, there's nobody covering him. He's just running. And, and, and you see everybody's covering, you know, Amari, Cooper, Gallup. And then it's like, oh, whoops, there goes Blake Jarwin. And then another one was in the end zone, very similar, you know, type of deal, not as deep of a throw. But people just – when you have so much other stuff to worry about, that's that rule of three, right? You're eventually going to spring a leak in the defense somewhere, and it might be the fourth or fifth guy. Yeah, and I'm very similar with you about Blake Jarwin, except for except for yards per catch average, just because I'm counting on him to be more of a dump-off option. And mm-hmm. But I do agree with you that he'll occasionally run up the seam and – and you know opposing groundskeepers won't be putting sand up the seams in their in their home <laughs> stadiums to try and stop Blake Jarwin um but you know he's 88 targets for me 69 catches um 598 yards 8.6 yards per catch uh, that's really low for a tight end but that's kind of, and probably too low for Blake Jarwin but that's where I have him right now I also have him at four touchdowns yeah, I think of him as more the underneath, but when in this vertical kind of offense, the underneath, you know, for me, I've got him at 11. You know, like a high for a tight end is like a, a 11 is really good. Yeah. A 12's yeah. pretty good. A 13 is like kind of getting up into the elite range, you know, and you'll see like, you know, that's where you see like some of the years you'll get from a Gronk, that kind of guy. But I'm with you. I, I do yeah. think he still works more underneath. I just think in this offense, what underneath means is a little further than a normal offense just because of the vertical nature, you know, of, of the way they want to attack. The sure. I just kind of looked at it as maybe Lamb's going to have a little bit of a, because he'll be in the middle a lot. He'll be a little bit higher because of his ability to stretch the field. And I think what he can do at, at route depths that they'll like, as opposed to Austin and, and, Cobb, who I would I like Cobb, but as opposed to Austin and Cobb, I think CD Lamb gives him a little bit more of an ability to stretch even in the middle. So maybe they had Jarwin kind of be a little bit lower. But it's again, I still think mine is a little bit on the low side. I mean, I think anything lower than nine point five point five yards per catch for a tight end is in the in the NFL is probably a, a little too low. So, but that's how I have it worked out for now. So let's get to the fun part of this. Because <laughs> the to me still the best interior running back in the league is Ezekiel Elliott. He's you know a close second is my fave Nick Chubb, but I think Ezekiel Elliott is is still one of the best running backs in this league. And you know it's it's insane because I I have a and I'm going to point this out to somebody because I have someone who works in a in a financial sector who has who certainly has dual degrees from a very respectable program who wrote me last year, who's a Cowboys fan, who didn't answer me when I asked him if he wanted to put his money where his mouth is and actually quest because he questioned the, the formula of the whole running backs don't matter crowd and the Ezekiel Elliott isn't good crowd and basically told me that all of that was there. They were operating off of bad, uh, off of a, a bugged formula 
and that they've been using the wrong formula for years and people have been mimicking off of it without checking it. And that, and he told me that basically Elliot is much better in situations that matter um, than, than people realize. And I asked him if he wanted to do something with it and he never got back to me. So, um, but because he has a big name in his industry uh, and it's not football, I'm, I'm not calling him out by name, um, but I would appreciate, and I don't mean it as a call out like in a negative way. I would love, if you're hearing this, I would love for you to be able to do something um, in case you changed your email or anything like that and didn't purposely not respond to, to my entreaties for you to, to do something because I would host it on my site in a heartbeat because it's insanity that people can't look at Ezekiel Elliott even just based on you know what he does and and see that this is a great young running back still in the middle of his career so that's my rant about Ezekiel hey, hey I I I love Zeke <laughs> so <laughs> you'll hear no complaints from me uh I, you know I think the bigger issue for a lot of you know the folks that do study the data it's just how much do you really pay a running back? Yeah, they matter, but your offensive line matters and sure. you got to pay a quarterback and then receivers. And, and so I think there's, there's validity to thinking that through, right. From a game sure. perspective and a sure. roster construction. But I think that's where things get conflated, right. Talking about the talent of a player versus, you know, how much should you pay a certain, you know, roster position. Yeah. And I, because I'm with you, like when I watch Zeke and I watch the things he does and I, where I don't watch as much film as you, I would say I watch a lot more than like probably the average fan. Sure. And so I, I do, I take a lot of notes, you know, I, I, I read a lot of the stuff you and other scouts, you know, that I like, you know, do, and I try to look at a lot of the same things. And so, yeah, I mean, just what, you know, the power that Ezekiel Elliott brings, right. And how low he gets the pad level and just, he's always, he, you never see him go backwards ever, ever, ever. And just little little things that I like. I think a lot of people don't see when there's just not a real big hole, and it's just like you're in that situation where all of a sudden you know the gap is filled. It's a short down, and he he can make that slight little step and still micro keep movements. the power. Yeah, he can the micro movement and still not lose the power to then surge again and get that yard. That's just something I don't see a lot from right. a lot of backs. It's like once that gap's filled filled in that particular situation, unless occasionally they can make this big bounce and have a big play outside, like that would really be like a guy like Barkley. That would be his approach to the situation, which more than often that's going to fail. Zeke's like the best at that. Like I just haven't seen anybody be able to consistently do that, you know, the way, you know, that he has. I mean, so I, I don't, I don't know what your thoughts there, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind I just, of getting off on a tangent. But. No, I like it. And I just, I would just say that, I'll say this, you know, I think that if you put Ezekiel Elliott on the Rams or you put Ezekiel Elliott on the Falcons right now, um, they would both be um, second round playoff teams um, just with the addition of him. Now, I don't know what that translates to cost, um, but, you know, in terms of what you pay a guy. Um, but I will say this, if you're going to make an argument about guys of who should deserve to get paid a little bit more at that position. Um, Ezekiel Elliott is not replaceable on the level that, that people want to claim he is that's shtick. And so, I mean, like he, there are some, there's a few guys in the league that you could probably 
say are come close, but just a few, um, you know, from my perspective. But I have Ezekiel Elliott at 304 attempts, um, 1,375 yards for about four and a half yards per carry for whatever that's worth. I've met 13 yard, 13 touchdowns. So, um, 4.2% of his attempts at uh, touchdown, 75 targets, 55 receptions, 425 yards, kind of low in terms of yards per catch. Um, but again, closer to the line of scrimmage, um, and three touchdowns. So he's, you know, Elliot right now from a fantasy perspective, Elliot's one of is one is my number two back um, in standard leagues and in PPR I believe he is um, second or third I think he's I think he's third right now I'm in PPR because 55 catches is pretty healthy um, so that's what I have with Elliot what about you Dwayne yeah I've got Elliot at 298 carries. Um, and, and I've still, he's, I've got him at 68% of the team rushing attempts, um, which is elite. You know, I just have them passing slightly more this year. So he's right at 300. So close to where you've got him. I've got him at 1,339 yards. I've got him at 11 and a half touchdowns. But I will tell you, if this offense is kicking, man, this could be the year where people look back and like, wow, Zeke scored 18 touchdowns. Right. And you, and you won't be, you shouldn't be surprised. If their offense is that good, they're still going to run the ball plenty down inside the five. Um, so I think Zeke, you know, he has upside for touchdowns this year that he's probably not had previously. Um, you know, he's always carried that upside. But I think this year, thinking about it from a, it won't just have to come from, you know, big chunk plays. It can come from being down in, in the red zone inside the five. A lot I anticipate this team scoring a lot of points. You know, they lost Byron Jones in the secondary. They could be giving up points, you know, as well. You know, they've got a decent pass rush, but the but the but the coverage is pretty suspect. So I think the, the Cowboys could have to resort to, you know, outplaying people on offense, you know, to win games. And um, as long as they're doing that and they keep the pedal down, there's going to be plenty of chances, you know, for Zeke, you know, down in an area where he's, he's like you said, um, arguably one of the best in the league. And so as far as his receptions, I've got him a little lower in the targets um, just because of, you know, where I see these other targets being so good. Um, but I've got him at 10% of the targets. So that's 58. I've got him at 44 receptions. I've got him at 330 yards receiving, and I've got him at two receiving touchdowns. So, I mean, from a, from a standpoint of a, of a fantasy player, I think Zeke, you know, is easily, you know, he's a lock for your top three. I think he could give up a few carries this year just because of the passing a little bit more. And I think he could give up a few receptions just because of how good, you know, some of the other targets on the team are. But I still think he's a lock for top three, and he still has a potential to be your number one overall fantasy player in all formats just because I think the tups, the touchdown upside is tremendous. Well, you know, just to round out this depth chart, you know, we'll talk a little bit about that. Tony Pollard certainly had a nice um, rookie year, um, showed what he could do as a runner between the tackles, and they didn't use him as much. I mean, they used him as a receiver, but, you know, he was a guy who played a lot of slot, you know, at Memphis. Um, so it's interesting, you know, what he could possibly bring to the table. He's a lot of people are excited about him. I've been to 87 attempts, 385 yards, 4.4 yards per carry, two touchdowns, about 2.3% of his, of his attempts being touchdowns. 
15 targets, 10 receptions, 75 yards, and a touchdown. Not much for him. And then Jordan Chun, Rico Dowdle, Siwo Alonuola, um, and uh, Darius Anderson are basically some really talented guys on the depth chart who could be um, all be competing for time. I think Chun and his um, special teams ability will probably take the day and he'll still probably be the guy, especially with this kind of year. But I would expect the Cowboys hoping that they can keep Dowdle, Anderson, and Alonanua on the depth chart. Um, you know, one of the one or two of those guys are going to try and keep. And they're yeah. all talented. I mean, you know, Dowdle is one of my favorite guys in terms of ability, but it sounds like the way South Carolina characterizes him, either the coaching staff continues to be knuckleheads or he's a knucklehead. It's one mm-hmm. or the other, depending on the history of how you look at it. Um, Dowdle got hurt a lot. He wasn't a bad guy, but all, the team kind of per, portrayed it as he doesn't work hard enough, which is why he gets hurt. Um, but also I've heard teams say Arian Foster was soft and 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 seen, you know, Ray Goff, you know, when I was growing up, say bar scouts from watching Terrell Davis's film because he had a stick up his ass about Terrell Davis getting hurt um, and, and decided that he was going to be, you know, kind of punitive in his anger about Terrell Davis and basically, you know, screwed over a Hall of Fame caliber player. Um, so th- that could very well be the case with a guy like Dottle, who's very intriguing. Anderson has terrific burst. Um, kind of reminds me of a Jerome Harrison, Priest Holmes type in terms of better burst than long speed, um, but tougher between the tackles than you'd expect who can catch. And then Alana Lua is a guy who has the size to be Jeremy Hill, um, but runs the ball kind of like Brandon Jacobs early on in his career did, which is like, I'm, I'm big, but let me show you how much of a scat back I can be. And, and try and bounce everything outside when he has the when he has the tools to like be just a, a freight train if he wanted to be. Um, so if he can figure out that while it's cute that he can make those jump cuts and bounce outside, that you know cute isn't the NFL. So it, you may get away with that at TCU, um, but you know you know not anywhere else. So I mean I don't have anything projected for those cats because yeah. I just don't know where they're gonna go. Yeah, I think, you know, just something real quick, you know, about that running game, though, and what I was talking about a second, you know, down inside the five. So last year, you know, the the Cowboys ran the ball 71% of their plays inside the five. That was number that was the most in the league from a percentage. So nice. the Ravens were the Ravens were second at 70%. New England, 67%. Ram, 66 Minnesota, 63%. Kansas City, um, 63%. Tennessee, 62%. Do you notice something across all of these teams? They're really good offenses. Yeah. And so, yeah. so the difference, like the Cowboys were only in that area of the field 21 times last year versus Baltimore, uh, 40, uh, New England, 39. You know, so it's one of those deals where when you look at it, if all of a sudden, you know, and some of it is the way the plays go, the Cowboys scored, you know, several long touchdowns last year too, which they'll still have some of those. But if all of a sudden – they're in the inside the five area, you know, 35 times instead of 21. That's where that upside with Zeke comes. I mean, you give Zeke an extra 15 carries inside the five easily 
three to five of those can turn into new touchdowns that he didn't have last year, right? And now you're sitting on his normal production plus. And the other interesting thing is that if you look at the rushing yards before contact inside the five blocked, um, Dallas, you know, which I think is huge. That's where like your offensive line like has to be, you know, doing their job. Yeah. And so Dallas ranks inside the top 10, you know, there as well. They're actually a positive. Most of the league, the league average inside the five yards blocked before contact is minus 0.2. And that's where it also comes back to when I think about yards after contact and those micro movements we were talking about with Zeke earlier. So yards after contact inside the five for runners in the NFL, Dallas was third at 1.5. And that's where you earn your money as a runner is down there. Um, so, I mean, the Steelers were at a 1.5 with James Conner. Uh, Cincinnati, amazingly, was a 1.5. I have a feeling that a lot of that was due to alignment. They were probably already losing by 40 and probably came out with four receivers you know, or something Pretty like that inside yeah. the five. But, like, the 49ers are a 1.4. The Chiefs are a 1.2. So some of it can be formational. Some of it is your offensive line. You know, there's a lot of components that go into it. Some but of it's Dallas being scared is, the bejesus out of Patrick Mahomes and, and, and Tyree <laughs> Kill. You know, yep. Yeah, Tommy absolutely. Watkins, you know? Exactly. So there's a lot of ways you can make that work, but the Cowboys are at the top in both areas, yards blocked before and yards after contact inside the five. And then they run it, they ran it the most inside the five. And we'll, we'll have to see what, you know, adjustments McCaffrey, uh, sorry, uh, McCarthy makes there, but you know, we got to remember Dak plays there as well. Right. Yeah. So Dak, you know, is a, is a threat inside, you know, the five yard line as well. So we could easily see a couple extra rushing touchdowns from Dak and I wouldn't be surprised either. Right? Yeah. My advice to McCarthy, don't screw it up. Don't do anything. Yeah. Just yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No, go ahead. I'm just saying it's don't do anything. You, 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 they built this team intelligently. You have a great running back, get a great offensive line or as good of one as you can get. You have a good offensive line, get some balance, have a decent, you know, have a good quarterback uh, and and you you make teams pick your poison, and you know you yes you you can put a guy like Pollard in there and go look he's playing just as well as Ezekiel Elliott and have your fans do that you when your fans are mistaken and and can say oh we can just work with Pollard like this that tells you that everything's working right you know everything's doing well even you know it, basically I mean. Tony Pollard and the way that people look at this, it's like the running back version of the Peter principle, you know, in some level, you know, in terms of how that works. I like Pollard. I think he's talented, but let's not go overboard here. This is a confluence of really good factors in terms of personnel. And, and I think that that's what your, your dad is showing, which is that, you know, basically the running back does his job really well. The offensive line does their job really well. You, you know, Let's not be like most of corporate America and say, you know what? If we can just lean on this, we can get really good quarter learnings here because we can cut on this area, you know, and cut all of this. Well, you know, all I can say is this, and this is my show, damn it. So I really don't give a fuck. So I'm going to say it like this. For all you fools not wearing masks right now, it's because your education systems have been cut because we had business people running um, our educational systems like businesses as opposed to running it as something different. Not saying that we should run it like government because government is equal fools in that regard too, but that's my semi-libertarian rant for the day, um, which is that, you know, the fact that we have all these analytics people out here and I'm 
picking on them because I can pick on the film people too. But we have people out here who want to say, well, let's look at efficiencies. Let's look at efficiencies. That's great. How about we just look at quality sometimes and just and be happy with that. So I'm glad that the Cowboys are not skimping on the offensive line to have a great back and not skimping on having a great back so that they have the offensive Real, real line. quick, Matt, I know we need to move to the next team. Sure. Do you see any fallout with losing you know, Travis uh, Frederick? Yes, I do, because mm-hmm. that's the, you know, the center is, I think the center is one of the most important parts of the offensive line. I would rather have a terrific center and an okay tackle than have a great tackle and and no center at all, because the center's the cohesive, they're the, they're the glue, that you know, the mm-hmm. communication aspect of it, they help the guards out, they're, they're really about helping you out with three to four gaps um, you know, on the offensive line, and we have a great center, they can they can make up for a lot of that. Um, and also with the calls that they make and what they do in the run game. But, you know, Tyler Biadaz, or wh- however you pronounce his name, you know, he's an interesting guy. I think in a couple years, if the hip injury isn't a, a big issue, he could be a guy who could replace Travis Frederick, and you'd go, wow, he's almost as good or maybe as good you know, he was on that way of doing that until he had a hip injury and just didn't play quite as well last year. But he's an intriguing prospect. Who they have ahead of him, I don't remember the name of the... Joe Looney. Joe Looney. Who, 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 is, who replaced Frederick, you know, two years ago when Frederick had to miss, yeah. you know, the year. He's solid. You know, he'll he's going to do the job. I don't think it's, you know, it's going to show up in little ways, but I don't think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a bigger loss for the for the team than what the the than what people are gonna say, you know, probably say, but I think it's gonna come in key moments as opposed to um, down after down after down. Yeah, I, I do like that they that they you know drafted you know Tyler. I don't know how to say his last name either, but uh, and I'm a Cowboys fan. But you know, and then the year before in the third round they got Connor McGovern. The year before they got Connor Williams. You know, I mean, so they they've been they've invested in some depth here, and I think at least that gives them some options, right? If Looney's not working out, they could work with some different combinations. Also gives you a little bit of protection against injury. It's something I always like to look at when I do my, um, you know, projections is just look at that second tier of offensive linemen. And what happens with most teams when I look at, I'm like, man, it looks just okay. And if anybody gets hurt, it's going to be bad. With the Cowboys, I look at it like, and I'm like, well, the, the offensive line is really good because Collins, Martin, and Smith are all, that, I mean, if you have three out of five that are all really good, and then you have two guys that are average to below average, Connor Williams and Joe Looney, but you still have two backups that could rotate through if anybody gets hurt or, or, or if you just want to, you know, create competition. To me, that's a that's a positive. And it's it's honestly a situation that a lot of teams are not in. A lot yeah. of teams don't have a, situ- you know, a situation where there's other combinations they could work with. They're literally just trying to survive the season. No, I – I really have a lot of respect for what the Cowboys have done in terms of their build overall, uh, not just offensive line, but team. I don't know if it's going to work out for them because, you know, the they but they've put some young, they have some young talents in place on both sides of the ball who are approaching mid-career. Um, and they're trying to skimp in certain areas that may not work out for them, but, um, or they're, you know, they, they're not, a little weaker in certain areas. They're going to, that may not work out for them, but I love the effort in terms of what they're trying to do here because the offense is great. 
Like to me, the offense is great. There's some key guys on defense that I'm really that I think are very good. Um, but if they can get away with it and putting all, most of their chips on the offensive side of the ball and it work out well, that's awesome. If not, I think what they they may have learned or may learn in hindsight is we had Zeke. We didn't need to go this far with receivers. We need to pump up that defense, go Zeke in defense, and kind of do what we saw with the 49ers, the Ravens, um, you know, maybe the Seahawks a few years before, um, you know, which was kind of like, we don't need all that glory fire, firepower on the out, outside. We can run the ball. We can play defense. We can pass just enough that that and and be a big time winning team. But all right, so let's talk a little bit about the New York Giants. Um, you know, in terms of in terms of the Giants, what's interesting is we had you know Daniel Jones took over for Eli Manning last year. Had a had a good statistical start running an offense where he threw a lot of one and two read type of looks, same side of the field type of looks, little, you know, kind of baked in manipulation plays, um, showed a lot of good athletic ability in terms of how to break the pocket and, and throw on the move and being able to run. Um, and he looked good. And then things kind of fell apart as teams caught up with him. And they're like, you know what? He's a little, he's a little tone deaf to pressure or a little blind to, to certain pressure and his pocket clocks a little stuck you know after you know it's like he doesn't have a doesn't have a setting after about two seconds it's like you know if he holds on to the ball for three seconds he's probably going to hold on to it for five he's probably going to get ear hold um and so <laughs> you know there's some problems there um you you know in terms of certain in certain types of reads a little more complexity needs to take some steps forward in terms of processing information it's playing within the pocket but they discovered Darius Slayton play, you know, was able to play up to his athletic ability, which was something he teased at Auburn, and he's played he played pretty well for them. But they also had a lot of injuries to Golden Tate, to Sterling Shepard, to Evan Ingram yet again. Corey Coleman showed that he basically doesn't really want to play football at the highest level, but a paycheck is good for him. So, you know, he's he hasn't really played to his level. Um, they got a little bit of production out of Caden Smith. You know, but they get Levine Toilolo in there, which means to me that they probably want a blocking tight end who can be really a really good blocker, and they get an extra, you know, basically a, a half a tackle or three two thirds of a tackle in Levine Toilolo, um, which is pretty darn nice. Saquon Barkley, what do you want to say about him? He's an excellent player who, like Dwayne said, bounces outside every once in a while when he shouldn't. But he also makes plays that few running backs in the league can. Maybe no other running back in the league right now can make some of the plays that Saquon Barkley can. So they're waiting for him to to basically break out and be unbelievable. Um, you know, I think there there are a lot of folks who look at him and say he's the talent to be the next two thousand yard runner. And I certainly understand that. I think he has that kind of capability. I just don't think they have the offensive line yet, even though they got Andrew Thomas, who's a stud. Um, that they're going to out of Georgia, who is a technically proficient, um, you know, left tackle, who I think will be able to plug and play and be very good. Um, so the the point is is how much can Daniel Jones improve? How much do you expect that to happen? Do you think it's do you, you know do you think Daniel Jones is a franchise quarterback? Jay Moyer wrote a nice piece about his thoughts on that at the Rookie Scouting Portfolio site www.mattwaltonrsp.com and you know you look at Jones and I think he'll be better if his receivers stay healthier because 
one of the things that you have to understand is that when you have Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate hurt last year and Evan Ingram hurt last year, aren't you going to simplify your offense a little bit more with a rookie quarterback and with young route runners? I would think so. You're probably going to not have them do as many complex things on the field, which means that things are going to look a little more simplified. And so if teams catch up to that, is that all Daniel Jones' fault or is that the coaching staff saying, we don't have a lot of confidence in these young players, understandably so, so we're going to keep things a little bit more basic. And if they can just execute super well, we're, you know, we'll do well. well. We may do better than expected. If they don't, well, we'd rather have them make mistakes than grand mistakes, like smaller mistakes than grand ones. And I think that that's probably what happened with Daniel Jones last year. That would be my expectation. So any thoughts in terms of that? If not, do you want to get into the, the run-pass ratios and, and give us the rundown there? Yeah, no, I do have thoughts. Um, I'll take a step back first, yeah, and I'll run through the, the ratios. But um, so as far as the Giants, I think there's a few things, right, that we have to, you know, consider. Um, you know, we've got a new coach, Joe Judge, um, who's ran the special teams, you know, for the Patriots. It's great to be a Patriots coach of any level. You could be like the assistant to the assistant to the assistant of the wide receivers coach, and you could get an interview for a head coaching job. Um, you know, we're seeing that over the last few years, guys that are coming up out of the ranks that didn't call plays or anything, right, for those teams. But good for Joe Judge. You know, he gets this opportunity. He's been coordinating, you know, special teams. He brings in Jason Garrett. Um, the thing I'll say about Garrett, and this ties into what you're talking about with Daniel Jones, is Garrett's shown a willingness, you know, Matt, based on his personnel, um, as much as he can get bashed for certain in-game play calling tendencies, overall, I think he does a pretty good job of figuring out what the strength of his team is and trying to lean on it. So if you think about it, you know, um, back in 2012 and 13, I mean, he had super pass, you know, heavy teams. He had teams that threw the ball all the time. And he had Tony Romo, he had Miles Austin, he had Des Bryant. Um, you know, and they worked in different third receivers. They had Jason Witten. So when they were truly built to pass the ball, that's what he did. And then as the team evolved over time, you know, they rebuilt the offensive line, like you talked about. They end up getting Ezekiel Elliott. And then the receivers weren't that good, and they started rebuilding those with Cooper. And then you draft Gallup, and then you get C.D. Lamb. You know, this year, obviously, Garrett's not involved with that. He sl- but as those changes were implemented and the Des Bryant you know, he deteriorated or got hurt. Miles Austin moved on. Jason Witten got older. He changed. And then they focused on trying to be better on defense. And so I think what you're going to see with Jason Garrett, there could be a range. I think it's going to depend on what he comes in and he sees, right? What he thinks he can do. And I, I think it's going to tie immediately to who you just mentioned, Daniel Jones. <laughs> That's where it's all going to start, right? right. Um, it's going to be, what does he think he can handle? So, I mean, if you think about, you know, what Garrett did with Dak, right, when he came in and essentially had to take over as a fourth-round pick. It's not something that they planned at all. I mean, Dallas only passed 49% of the time, but they were able to heavily lean on their running game with that offensive line uh, and Ezekiel Elliott. Um, and they weren't trailing all the time, right? I mean, they, they were able to stay in games. So I think what's going to happen is uh, – if you look at Daniel Jones, and we'll talk about him in more depth here in a second, some stuff I can I can throw up some pretty cool information I'll be happy to share. But I think 
what we're going to see is he's going to try to protect him some. And, and the offensive line, at least, yes, they did draft Thomas. Last year they traded for right guard uh, Zeitler as part of the OBJ trade. They drafted Hernandez last year at left guard. They added Nate Soldier. And it was last year or the year before at left tackle. So, I mean, the offensive line at least has potential to be like a B. You know, if you're grading yeah. on a A to F scale, this offensive line could be a B. And so if you get that kind of play out of the offensive line, I think, uh, and, and they're just not getting into situations where they're just getting, you know, their wills blown off, you know, in games. I mean, last year, the Giants, you know, th- there was a lot of games where they lost by, well, they lost by an average of 6.9 points per game in 2019, which is a lot. And it, more of it was their defense than their offense. Their offense, you know, on a, on a simple rating system, which is pro football reference, was a minus 1.8. The defense was a minus 6.1. You know, so a lot of it was about the defense and what's going to change there. And, and so they passed the ball 63% of the time, but a lot of it is because, I mean, they were just trailing a lot. They trailed for 65% of their plays. So if that happens again, Garrett won't have a lot, right? Yeah. A lot of choice in the matter. He'll have to drop back to pass more if they're trying to truly win games. Um, so, uh, but what I think you'll see him try to do if he can, Matt is try to be more balanced. And when I say more balanced, what's considered balanced in the league today is about 55%, 56% pass, 44% run, 45% run, somewhere in there. And I think that's going to be Garrett's target. And if they can just keep from getting blown out, so because those blowout games will really skew your, your stats, right? Because then all of a sudden in one game, you have to pass 80% of the time if you just fall down by two scores immediately in the first quarter. And then you stay behind all game, you know, that if if you can just get rid of a couple of games like that, I think that they could hit that kind of mark. Um, So, and I think that's really going to be, you know, the approach now to talk a little bit, you know, more about, you know, the overall, if I think about their weapons, I mean, it's like you said, I like Ingram. Ingram just needs to stay healthy and that's it. He's a mismatch when healthy really against pretty much any tight end. I mean, against any linebacker, any safety in the league, he's a mismatch um, due to his, you know, athleticism. Um, and then if I think about Shepard, Tate, and Slayton, it's a fine it's a fine mix. My concern about the Giants last year, before Slayton broke broke through, is I was just like, well, who's going to go? Who's going to stretch the defense? You know, and they found that with Slayton, and so now that opens so much more up for a Golden Tate for a Sterling Shepard. Like having Slayton on the field in your twelve and twenty one sets, I think is much better than having Shepard and Tate, right? By far. And, yeah, because now the defense has to respect so much more. So it's, I think they're in good shape. From is this like an A plus group? No, but I mean Shepard, Tate, Ingram, and what Slayton's proven. I mean, B that's minus. a pretty good. It's a pretty good four yeah. receivers, right? There's nobody that you look at and go, oh, they're just a complete F or a question mark, which a lot of teams would have. They at least have salt. They're all solid, and then you add Barkley in the mix out of the backfield. I think mean, it could be good. So. I mean, I, I think the Giants have some room for a little bit of upside, you know, offensively this year. Um, you know, they also added Deion Lewis to back up uh, Barkley, you know, and he can he can spell him a little bit. He can do some third down type work. And like you said, adding Andrew Thomas is great. They also added a guy in the third round. Um, is it Matt Matt Pert? I'm not sure if yep. I'm saying that right. Yeah, Connecticut. Yeah. He's a very athletic guy. He just needs to learn. He has some things that he needs to learn in terms of technique. He may need to fill out a little bit. Really great feet, um, very quick, but you know, mm-hmm. you know, has some work there. But yeah, I, I like what you're talking about there. Yeah, I think Daniel Jones. To get more specifically into Jones, I like 
you know, a term that you've coined, you know, in the last two years, when I'm talking with you, you talk about that pinpoint accuracy, right. Versus general accuracy. And even though last season, um, you know, if you look at, you know, his, his completion percentage didn't look bad. Um, I think it was more of a general accuracy kind of quarterback. So oh, yes, his throws, his, his throws that were accurate, meaning leading the receiver, right. Or if you're running a stick route, you'd put it right on their numbers kind of thing. But if it's within the frame is the way these are graded, if it's within the frame or considered accurate, right. Meaning you a, a plus accuracy, which is on a, on a horizontal play, you'd expect him to lead the receiver. He was a minus 4.2% in those type of throws versus the league. So that tells me that it's more of a general accuracy thing. 24% of his throws were inaccurate, but catchable. That's 4.4% more than the NFL average, right? So he was 33 out of 35 in passes that were inaccurate, but catchable. And that's really just general accuracy. It's within the range of being catchable for the receiver, but it's not optimizing you know, what the receiver's doing. And it's given defenders a bigger chance to make plays. And so when you're making throws like that, I think what you're going to see are spikes and valleys, not just in games, it can happen in seasons. Because all of a sudden, a few of those plays turn into tips by a defender. They turn into interceptions by defenders. They turn into more drops by your receivers. Um, so there's a lot of variance, I think, that can come into Daniel Jones's game if he doesn't improve that. Um, he's below average versus the NFL from a clean pocket. Um, he's under, he's, he's right around average under pressure in his first year. Um, he was average, uh, in, in the number of positive plays that he had, but he was, and he was slightly below average in the number of negative throws that he had. Um, but his turnover throws are, he's really bad. Um, he's much higher than the league and turnover worthy throws. So I think, when I tie all that together, I think Daniel Jones, you know, his overall stat line from last year for, especially if you're thinking fantasy players, it looked a lot better than what his coaches were probably grading him, yeah. you know, and what they're saying to it. Now we know there's two different things. There's NFL and then there's fantasy. And sometimes you can not be a great quarterback and you can be really good in fantasy. You know, we saw that with a guy like Jameis Winston last year, right? I mean, he's, I would, he's more of a general accuracy kind of guy as well. Um, but, you know, came up with a huge season when you gave him these weapons. You know, of course, he still turned the ball over a ton of times. And so I think Daniel Jones for right now kind of sits in that bucket for me. Like if I'm an NFL evaluator, I'm like, eh, I'm really worried. If I'm a fantasy evaluator, I'm thinking, you know, I might be able to get a little bit of mileage out of Daniel Jones, but I'm definitely going to have to watch my matchups. I don't want to play him against a really good defense. That's for sure. Yeah, if you're a conservative drafter like I am on certain aspects, He's 20th on my board, and I'm not going near him because I'm formulating strategies where I just don't want to take him at all because one of the things that you brought up is because of that general accuracy, here's the problem with general accuracy, okay? And 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 it's something that's kind of that between that invisible thread, and this is more my theory than it is some sort of statistical reality likely, but it's, you, you know, you look at the high percentage of you know general accuracy you see the interceptions as well and what that tells me too is that when someone's has some accuracy problems they may also tend to overthink things because they know they weren't accurate on that last pass that they didn't hit it directly on the numbers and it's human nature to overthink and when you overthink you take a little too much time it breeds more inaccuracies it breeds more time holding on to the ball in the pocket. It breeds more opportunities for you to get hit while throwing or taking sacks. 
And then when you have that happen, you tend to overcorrect in either direction. You either rush your process because now you've been hit a few times and now you're rushing throws that you shouldn't and that breeds more inaccuracy and creates more issues. You create interceptions, then you want to slow down and you want to try and like be a little bit more extra careful with things and that can lead to more pressure. So it's kind of a vicious circle that I think that happens for a guy like him. Yeah, for whatever reason, I, I, yeah, I, and not for whatever reason, I agree. But when I'm when I'm looking at these and breaking these things down, the other thing, and I and I haven't done a statistical analysis, but it's like as things start to break down, like the guys that can keep their cool, which it, it's tough, right? Finding these, like you, you immediately go to Russell Wilson, right? right. <laughs> and, and Dak Dak has some of that too. He doesn't panic. He doesn't go into a turnover mode like Josh Allen will. Like Josh Allen, when it when it's when it's panic time, he truly panics. Like where Russell Wilson is like, there's no such thing as panic time. Like, yeah, I'm going to make the defense panic. And so I think Daniel Jones has some of that Josh Allen in his game. You know, as an example, like when he has to go to scramble, his turnover worthy plays, 15% of those plays turn into turnovers versus the league average of six. Yeah. So it's like when things start to go wrong, like his something, the neurotransmitter and, and Russell Wilson's brain, it's like I just picture it, you know, as being like this smooth flow. There's not all these spikes and brain activity. Like when Daniel Jones is in that moment, it's like just pure. Like if you were to have him attached to all those sensors, I'm sure everything's going everywhere. Wires are crossed. Like, and part of that can be being a young player, right? Yeah. So I don't want to like make this sound like, oh gosh, Daniel Jones can never improve because that's not what I'm saying at all. But he definitely, in time and in moments where he's got to make something happen that feels like it's outside the structure things start bad bad things start happening yeah i have is what it looks like i have about 15 points separating um you know let's see about eight players in the middle tiers of my you know outside mm-hmm. starter random realm josh allen heads that list just below aaron Rodgers, um you know at 13th and then i have carson wentz at 21st which a lot of people would say what are you out of your mind because Carson Wentz is going to be a great quarterback in terms of production. And that very may well be the case. But the guys that I'm interested in, you know, in this range, if I was going to wait on a quarterback and go like extreme and say, I'm going to take one of these guys as my first quarterback and take my chances. There's like Gardner Minshew, Jared Goff, Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, Phillip Rivers, Teddy Bridgewater, Daniel Jones. You know, and Daniel Jones is like, to me, the cutoff is Bridgewater and Jones because what you just mentioned is when it comes to buying time in the pocket, who do I trust to do that well? And I'll say, I trust Bridgewater because he's very good at that. I trust um, Gardner Minshew. He's very good at that. Goff, I'm, Goff, I don't trust on that level so much. Carr, I certainly don't trust on that level, but he's got a really good offensive line that mitigates that. So I'm not as worried about that. Garoppolo, he's going to rush everything. So it's like he's he's got a quick release. So it's disguised as a quick release and it works well. But he has a rusher's kind of mindset in terms of like playing too fast and hectic. But again, you know, I'm not counting on him to be like buying a lot of extra time. And when he does, he has that quick release. So I'm okay with that. But Jones, forget that. Like, not even going there in terms of as a guy that I want to. He's going to have to prove it this year before I, I hop on that train as a particular bargain. Doesn't mean that he won't be, but that's kind of where I'm at. 
Yeah, uh, I love what you were just talking about. Um, you have got to go read. Um, so Timo Risk is his name to move if you don't follow him on, on uh, Twitter, but um, M O O. But he did an awesome uh, breakdown last week, Matt, of where he went and looked at. <clears throat> it's it's the the uh, article is actually about pass rushers and right like what's the percent luck for a sack versus you know um, what the true you know, talent is based on isolating um, pass rushers in certain situations versus less likely situations to get sacks and some other things. But one of the really cool things that I found about the article in there is it talks about court. He actually ends up breaking down the quarterbacks that are at best at avoiding sacks when pressured. And so sacks over exposed over uh, expected, right. When, when pressured Patrick Mahomes is a minus 5.9%. Drew Brees, so that's good, right? He gets sacked 6% less than the average quarterback once he's pressured. Drew Brees is a minus 5.6%. Tom Brady, minus 4.8. Isn't it interesting what you're seeing here? There's different ways to do this, right? Jared Goff, who you just mentioned, minus 4.3. Philip Rivers. Oh, wait a minute. Jared Goff's good at avoiding pressure? Uh You You mean people who, like, bag on Jared Goff? you know, and say that he, he doesn't deal with pressure. Well, maybe it's because he deals with too much pressure. Cause he yeah. avoids so it on, a, on a per well. basis. Yeah. So yeah. Minus 4.3 Philip rivers, minus 4.3 Kirk cousins, minus four, Matt Ryan, minus three, seven Dak minus 3.4 Derek Carr, minus 2.8. So all these guys you're naming and like that are in your tier and you just nailed it, right? You're talking about their ability to avoid that pressure. And then you get to Jimmy G, he's a plus 2.3. Um, Lamar Jackson's a minus 0.2. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater's a minus 0.5. Uh, ben Roethlisberger's a, a plus 0.5. Aaron Rodgers is a plus 0.8. Uh, Tannehill's a plus 1.6. So those were the – Mariota's a plus yeah. 3.6. Now, that's that's the guys that <laughs> – yeah. yeah, that's bad. Yeah. That's the guys that had enough, right, to yeah. actually rank. But, like, if you look back at a Peyton Manning, he was minus 7.8. Yeah. In that, in the league average, the league average uh, is fourteen point six. Yeah, send me a link to that article. Yeah, I will. I will. It's that. awesome. Okay, it's awesome. So right. we've got a little bit of time left, so we're going to kind of breeze through the Giants. But you know, Dwayne, Dwayne's a Cowboys fan, so I'm doing him a favor. Um, you know, we're going to breeze through this and kind of go fast. <laughs> so you can blame it on Dwayne if if you know if you're a Giants fan here. If not, you can you know you can still blame it on me. I'm okay with it. Um, but seriously, looking at these receivers, listen, I'm not a Sterling Shepard fan. I know a lot of did people. Did we even project are. Daniel Jones yet? Oh, we did didn't, say- did we? Okay, <laughs> let's do that. 586 attempts, 375 completions. I have the Giants passing 59%. They're going to try to get closer to that mark. I don't think they're going to do it. Um, you know, so 64% completion percentage. 3,990 yards. I'm close to 4,000 yards. 6.81 yards per attempt. 24 touchdowns, which is 4.1% of his attempts. Um, 19 interceptions, 3.2% of his attempts. Um, 55 rushes, 300 yards, one touchdown. 20th ranked fantasy quarterback for me. How about you, Dwayne? Yeah, so I've got the Giants at 57% pass, 43% run. I've got them running... Uh, a thousand plays or a thousand attempts, right? I'm so that's one. Take, I'm at nine eighty six. 
Okay, yeah, and that's with me taking sacks out. If you put sacks in, they're going to be closer to 1,025, somewhere in there. But Daniel Jones, I've got him at 570 attempts, 359 completions, so that's 63% completion rate, 7 yards per attempt, uh, 3,990 yards, so we're both really close there. <laughs> I've got him at 27 touchdowns, and then um, I've got him, oops, sorry, 14 uh, picks. Um, he does give you a little bit in the rushing category, so uh, rushing attempts, 50 uh, I've got him at right at 300 yards and two rushing touchdowns. So that, that 300 yards rushing and two rushing touchdowns kind of boosts him up a little bit. It puts him right around the 295 mark. Um, you know, so for me, he'll be in, in clearly in my tier three of quarterbacks. Um, I don't want to rule out the fact that, right, he really could improve. What concerns me the most is that you really graded him as a general accuracy quarterback coming out in the RSP, and that's exactly what, his was, what he was in the first year. And the more and more I listen – to different scouts um, because I'm always trying to read up on this to see what, what traits are fixable, what traits are not. And the more and more I read, it's like accuracy is just not as improvable as people think. And so that definitely gives me pause (laughs) for Daniel Jones. I I do think he carries some upside because he could improve, right? And he did do some good things last year. And I totally get, especially like in the fantasy community, why people consider it that way. And they're like, well, I'm looking at Philip Rivers or Daniel Jones, at least Daniel Jones, gives me, you know, some upside. And, and, and I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that, right? If, if he were to take a step, it could give you that. But I think the likelihood of him taking that step is probably lower than what most people think. And if he does really have a good year, it, it could be more of a luck factor than a skill factor. Just to be fun, just to be funny, my advice, get Phillip Rivers, don't touch Daniel Jones, focus on getting a quarterback next year, whether you're going to trade for a veteran for, or get a rookie, um, and don't waste your time. But again... That's, you know, Daniel Jones could improve and we'll be nice about that. You know, Dwayne will be nice about it. I'll be the bad guy on that one. Um, <laughs> you know, Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, Darius Slay, those are the main three receivers we're looking at from the wide receiver core. If you don't count Evan Ingram as a wide receiver because he really is technically a tight end. Um, Sterling Shepard, listen, like you said, Dwayne, if, if Slayton can stretch the field, Tate can stay healthy, Shepard will benefit because – what we've seen from him is that his he was a good route runner out of Oklahoma who could make a lot of plays in the open field and get yards after the catch as kind of a return specialist du jour. But when he got in the NFL, what we've seen is a guy that unless the unless the secondary sucks, he really hasn't been all that special in terms of big games from what I've seen. Like the last time I saw him have a, a really an effort that was befitting what Sterling Shepard was supposed to be was against an Atlanta Falcons defense that was so banged up that they were playing guys that really had no business being on the field just yet. And Shepard feasted in the middle of the field, you know, where basically, you know, people broke missed tackles and he was able to, to go to go off. But I have him at yeah, you know, eighty five targets. 57 catches, 570 yards for 10 yards per catch, and three touchdowns. You look at a guy like Tate, I think Tate's going to be the recept- the target and reception leader. 120 targets, 66 receptions, which is kind of a low percentage, but I think Daniel Jones is a, a big reason for that. Um, 800 yards at 12 yards per catch and four touchdowns. And then our the, the yardage, and catch and touchdown leader will be Slayton, who's 95 targets, 52 catches, 810 yards, 15 and a half yards per catch, 
and seven touchdowns. And then you can, I'm giving, you know, somewhere between about 80 yards for the, the other three guys. And I'm, I'm projecting, and it's low because I don't know who I'm projecting just yet, but I'm looking at Corey Coleman, Reggie White, and uh, Junior, and Austin Mack as the three receivers who make the squad, um, just based on I've thought what I've studied on film with those guys. Sure. Yeah, we're a little different here. I still have Shepard as leading the team in the targets, and, and that's due to I, I just love the fact that he gets to work in the slot and he's going to get the better matchups. Now, I don't have these guys very separated very far. I, I agree with you. I have Tate with more touchdowns and Slayton. I have Tate and Slate both with more touchdowns than Shepard, but I do have Shepard leading the team in targets with 19%, so that's 108 targets. I've got him at a catch rate of 68% working underneath. So that's 73 catches, 11 yards per catch. So I'm quite a bit higher than you on, yeah. on Shepard and his yards, 804 yards. I think 11 will be uh, more of the base personnel, but I don't I don't think we'll see it as much as we saw it under Pat Shermer, right, where you're trying to run that 75 80% of the time. I think you're going to end up into the 12 and 21 sets with Garrett there. Um, and so they could run the 12 set with Caden Smith and Evan Ingram. Um, so I think – you're going to have slightly fewer snaps, you know, from 11 and that will hurt Shepard in those games where, so if there's the games where they can come out and establish, you know, a lead. And then all of a sudden the third or fourth quarter, you could see way more of the 12 personnel as they try to run the game and go to a four minute offense type of thing. I think that's a definite risk. that's going to be higher for Shepard uh, this year um, than what we've seen in the past. So I've got him at, you know, 804 yards. I've got him at four touchdowns, but then I've got golden Tate, who I anticipate staying on the field, you know, right there with him, you know, at a, at a 0.17 or sorry, 17% of targets. So that's 97 with 61 catches, 12 and a half yards per catch. So that's 757 yards. I have him at five touchdowns. Then I have Darius Slayton, similar to you. I have him at the, I have him at the lowest number of targets slightly. He's at 91 versus the other two guys, 108 and 97, but his catches are lower because he's being targeted further downfield. So I've got his catch rate at 57. Um, I've got him at 52 catches, but 15 yards a catch being the guy stretching the field, making the big plays. So 787 yards for Darius Slayton. And I also have him at five and a half touchdowns. I have him slightly leading the other two, but more uh, yards than Golden Tate. So, I, But I've got them all basically different roles, but all really close together. Then I'll go ahead and do Ingram, you know, while I'm sitting here. I've got him at 18%. So I literally, in the passing pecking order, I have him as number two behind Shepard. Um, so 103 targets, 67 catches, 11 yards per catch for 734 yards and five and a half touchdowns. And with with Evan Ingram, it really all comes down to Kenny. Just that's healthy numbers, right? I haven't taken off. I think, you know, the best thing to do with a guy like Ingram and probably say the same thing for Shepard in, in that case is you just got to take like two games off, <laughs> you know, because neither one is really able has shown that they've been capable of making their way through a full season playing all 16 games and showing an ability to really play hurt. Yeah. They just haven't shown that they've shown that if they have any kind of nick, any little thing in their game, they're going to sit, they're not going to play. So that bothers me. Yeah. And that's essentially what I've done because I've, I've taken off for Evan Ingram and, and Sterling Shepard where we're different on Shepard is because I think that I just have a theory that the giants, what they want to do is that they know that their offensive line hasn't been great. Um, and it's getting better but they got Levine Toilolo. And when you get Levine Toilolo, you use Levine Toilolo as a blocker. That guy is mm. a very good blocker. 
So sure. while Caden Smith is also a good blocker, Caden Smith's a pretty good zone receiver. So I see Caden Smith functioning a little bit as a as their number three tight end in case um, Evan Ingram gets hurt. But mm-hmm. I think what they'd like to do is if I were the Giants, I'm just looking at this, I'd have I'd use more two tight ends, or I'd use more eleven personnel where Evan Ingram split and not on the line at all. And guess who gets who suffers from that? Sterling Shepard. Because I yeah. think then, you know, either use more 10 personnel or 11 where Shepard's well, not think, on the field. If you think they're going to get to that type of number, though, to, to take Shepard, I agree with you. I, I right. think they're going to run more 12. That's a great call out on Levine Tololo. Um, you're right. Like, that's that's a that's you going another level deep. And I that's what he does. But what I would say to you is, if, if you believe that, that they're going to be able to use that set that often, because Levine Toyololo is a zero, basically, in the passing game. Right. You're going to need to adjust how often you think that they're trailing versus leading, and you would probably need to say, okay, 57% run, you know, 43% pass versus like a 59. Because if, they, if they're at a 59-41, that's going to mean that Toyololo is not getting to be on the field that much because they just mm-hmm. can't be in a situation to, to, to afford to not drop back to pass more. Or... They again use eleven personnel, and Toilolo's used more as a blocker, which he is. You know, he was a guy they often considered using as a tackle, and they keep him in to block as a pass protector, as an extra man on the line, and they use they use you know three receivers plus Barkley, and still get four receivers out of the deal because they can stretch the field with Ingram, Shepard or Ingram, Tate, and Slayton. And still get Barkley out of the deal, so yeah. it could unusual. hurt Evan Ingram as well because you have these other teams that do this, right? Yeah. You have the teams like last year, like the Packers, when they came out in twenty-one personnel, it was never Jimmy Graham, right? And not to say Jimmy Graham's like a spring chicken or anything that's forcing his way onto the field, right? It was Mercedes Lewis who was the better blocker, yeah. And so that immediately took you know ten percent of snaps away on the season, you know, for Jimmy Graham. So I think it's a really good point either way. It, it, who it ends, who that ends up affecting more than the other, I think there's a couple different ways it could go. Sure. So for my quick ones for Ingram, I have Ingram. My stats are a little lower than yours because I did bake in injury. I have him at 93 targets, 55 catches, 650 yards, 11.8 yards per catch, and four touchdowns. Um, not a, I didn't take a ton off for injury, but I took a couple games, I believe. Um, yeah. And then Levine Toilolo, 24 targets, 17 catches, 170 yards, and a, and a touchdown. Caden Smith, 30 catches, 30 targets, 24 catches, 210 yards, and one touchdown. And then going to the run game, so we wrap this up. Listen, Saquon Barkley, fantastic player. Um, you know, if they get this offensive line together, they get a quarterback that can make defenses pay consistently. Um, then I think Saquon Barkley can be one of the best producers in the league. In terms of having a record year, he could he could be one of those guys that gives you the highest possible ceiling that a running back can give you. Um, but I'm right now 261 attempts, 1307 yards for five yards per attempt, 11 touchdowns. That's 4.2 percent of his attempts, and then 91 targets, 66 catches, 560 yards at 8.48 per per catch, three touchdowns. Barkley's one of my top five running backs. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. It's, I, I'm at 65% of the carries. It's 280 attempts, four and a half yards per carry, uh, 1,260 yards, um, 15 uh, touchdowns for the team. I have Barkley with getting on the ground. I have Barkley <clears throat> getting 11 of those. Um, he's obviously, obviously got room for upside. 15% of the targets. Um, so that's 86 targets, 60 catches for eight yards per catch, 480 yards receiving, 3.4 touchdowns receiving i agree with you i think his floor is top five runner i think his ceiling is number one runner overall um and i i would never argue with anybody that took him you know as the first running back off the board i think it's easily this year you got cmc uh you get saquon and you've got zeke all sitting there and you can make an argument for why any one of those three you know should be the first and i would not i'd argue it for fun but i wouldn't but I wouldn't call you crazy for the fact if you picked any one of those. So, yeah. you know, they're, they're all good and they're all very, they're all some of the top backs there. And listen, you know, you got to listen to one of the top analysts around when it comes to projecting stats in Dwayne McFarlane. And you get to, you know, you get to see his work at establish the run as well as pro football focus. He is a um, multi-time finalist in some, um, you know, big time money winning tournaments um, you know, including the one that we do over at Football Guys, you know, a few times, some top three finishes, top five finishes. Um, you know, you can follow him at Dwayne McFarlane. You can follow me at Matt Waldman. If you're interested in some film based study, you know, there's the rookie scouting portfolio, the 2020 RSP, the, the post draft and the pre draft are available. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll be digging it for the post draft this year, but I promise you'll like the pre draft for long term. Um, you get a lot for it. You can go to mountwaldman.com to find out more about it. Newsletters come out once a month from December, from June through December. I've got another one coming out this month, um, probably within about a week, week and a half. Um, and that's for subscribers, all for $21.95, one of the best deals that you can get available. Thanks again for listening, and you guys have a terrific week.